Algar Productions. Algar Productions. I'm Ron Algar Watt, and this is More Bits. Caitlin Purdy is a longtime friend and a true inspiration. When I first met Caitlin, she seemed like a fun and interesting person, but it was also pretty clear to me that she had been going through, and probably was continuing to go through, some stuff. But over time, she's developed coping mechanisms that I both admire and, frankly, envy. She brings a different perspective to coping with mental health than anyone I've spoken to on this show before. So you say that ideally not everyone has to stay medicated for the sort of thing for good that yeah that it's kind of a, a a tool to get you to a certain point and then and then you can self-maintain is that the idea exactly that's the idea that um i was introduced to when i found the psychiatrist that i really kind of clicked with you really have to click with a psychiatrist otherwise oh, you're just God, gonna it's, you're gonna walk it's out like dating yeah it is like dating it's like dating and it's even harder because you really have to be uh, emotionally open with someone you just met. And that's really, really challenging. Yeah. But um, the the doctor that I met, Dr. Tran, he's um, from a completely different background than anybody else that I was used to. He's from Vietnam. And um, he uh, explained to me in one of my first visits that medication was not the end game, that that was just uh, starter step. It was the whole purpose, the way he described it, the whole purpose of medication is to get you to the point where you can get out of bed and go to work right. and that you can go to an appointment and sit down and talk to a therapist and that you can learn things to do instead of taking medication to boil it down to something very simplistic. Right. And um, when I had come to him, I was on probably my fifth um, antidepressant because the side effects had been so detrimental to me that I'd had to keep switching medications. And so hearing that from him was like joy just news to my ears. So now is th- does this just apply to sort of your diagnosis or is this sort of everybody? My understanding from him is that it really does apply to everybody within huh. reason because right. there are chemical imbalances that I think cannot be rectified. I mean, if someone's on like the most massive in scale, I don't know if they could, but maybe they could go get by with less medication. Hmm. That's interesting. And I'm not, I'm definitely not going to say I think that's incorrect or anything like that because I am not qualified to say that, but it definitely doesn't sound like it, it sounds like there's different ways to look at it because I've seen a few different drinks that definitely are not of that opinion. Mm -hmm. And And I would say, hopefully it's. I would say it's specific to depression Mm -hmm. because I think anxiety is a different animal when it comes to medication because um, the way that depression affects your brain, the chemicals that it affects, I think can be more easily produced naturally by, you know, things like exercise and whatnot. Whereas what you need to bring yourself down from anxiety sometimes can't be done without medication. That makes sense. I, so really, that's that's kind of the gist of what I wanted to get at anyway, is so you, you've you've been on and off medication, but really you're maintaining now and you're maintaining through purely natural means. Yes, like no no chemicals. Yep, yep, yep. 
So tell me about that. <laughs> well, it's kind of been, uh, again, a long process. I mean, nothing about this has been overnight. About oh, No, it's not <laughs> like the doctor says, do this. And you're like, yep, I'm good now. Exactly. Of course not. So, I mean, when I first saw him, I didn't know anything about these tools. It's not I had seen multiple therapists before him and none of them had communicated this kind of stuff to me. And so I think a lot of it is just a perspective on modern medicine, whether you're into the holistic approach or not. So from for him, uh, when I first went to him, I was on two different antidepressants and another anti-anxiety medication. So three medications total. And I was having a lot of negative side effects. So the first thing he did was start weaning me off of one of them. And he kind of made the expectation clear that at some point I was going to be without medication. And so each kind of subsequent visit we would talk about another one of these tools and I kind of think of it as tools in my toolbox, which is a little bit dorky, but it works for me. No, no that's <laughs> and, definitely a metaphor. A lot of people. Use. Yeah. And, um, some of like the first kind of things that we talked about were just thinking errors. So hmm. like I had a lot of thinking errors that caused me to have really, uh, negative thoughts and really, um, negatively impacting me type of thoughts, like assuming, for example, assuming um, anything about what people are thinking based on what they're saying. It's something that I would never even have like questioned. Like when someone, for example, I had a poor relationship with my mother and everything that uh, she would say to me, just something simple like, you know, are you going to be here for dinner on whatever night? I would take mm -hmm. that in such a way that was very negative, like, that she was trying to force me into doing something or guilt trip me into coming over or whatever, all these, you know, things you can infer from someone saying something to you. And I had a lot of that going on in my head that was just incorrect. And even if it was correct, it wasn't beneficial to me. Right. So one of the first things that he taught me how to do is just to stop assuming anything about anybody, especially when it comes to what people are thinking. And um, it was just like in the slightest, slightest little uh, saying that he would say to me every time I would be going on and on about whatever person do, saying whatever thing to me. And mm -hmm. his response was always, they're doing their best. And he would say that to me and it would become very infuriating <laughs> when I was first <laughs> learning to understand all these concepts. And um, then I was able to start saying that to myself when I was encountering mm -hmm. these. And that's really all it is, is learning to teach yourself how to check yourself. Right. And, um, so when I would start having these conversations with people and I would be assuming and inferring things about what they're saying, I would just tell myself they're doing their best. And it would take such an incredible weight off my shoulders of hmm. worrying about these people, what's going on behind somebody's you know, eyeballs in the back of their brain, um, and assuming that they have all these thoughts about me when maybe they're thinking about cheesecake and bunnies. And <laughs> right. I, I just gained a lot of peace from just that simplest lesson of of correcting that, that thinking error and just assuming that everyone's doing their best all the time. I do it at work because I know that the people around me aren't doing <laughs> their best all the time. But if I assume it, then it puts me at so much ease. I don't have any kind of resentment. I don't bear grudges. Um, I don't bother myself with any of that negativity because I'm just assuming that people are doing their best. No, I can totally see that. And it's, it's to me similar to, sort of a, a, a philosophical thing that I picked up on years ago, which is more or less the same thing, which is uh, everybody's the hero of their own story kind of thing. Yeah. 
Like nobody's nobody's out to get you. They're all trying to do their own thing. They're all trying to, you know, everyone's like moving their lives in in what they think is the best direction. And sometimes you're an obstacle to them, but usually you're not like they're not deliberately trying to hurt you in any way, you know, like. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's basically that that sort of thing. I think it's interesting because this seems more like a philosophy than it does like science. Not that that's a bad thing. And I think that's probably why I liked this uh, psychiatrist so much is because that's kind of what a lot of his stuff comes off of is like he comes from an environment of uh, that is not Western. And mm -hmm. I think that that a lot of non-Western philosophies need to be emphasized a lot more because it's really easy, I think, for I don't want to like generalize, but people who are wealthy enough to not have to worry about a lot of the things that other people have to worry about mm -hmm. um, to bitch and moan about a lot of things that don't matter. And when you don't have that perspective, you don't know that those things don't matter. And so I think that gaining that perspective through something like a simple philosophy is really, really important. Yeah, that, I can see that. I think probably it, for anyone, <laughs> regardless of their mental health. No, and and there, I mean, really, without getting too much into all of that, there there is a lot of that in a lot of major philosophies and religions and stuff. The idea that that materialism, you know, like the more things you have, the sort of the more you lose yourself, and and how you know a basic existence is better, and you know that whole kind of thing. And like, it, it's a very common idea that sort of goes across different philosophies. I think. Yeah. The idea that that you know the whole just the whole anti-materialism thing yeah not even just stuff um and some of it's just like attitudes like you have a lot of attitudes that you don't need mm -hmm. um, not you personally al but oh no people. i absolutely do <laughs> and and a lot of those are just you know worrying about things that don't matter worrying right. about what other people are doing well, it, it sounds very Buddhist to me in specific. Well, Vietnam is a Buddhist country. So sure, that's where he's I think that's really the kind of angle that he comes from, for sure. He never actually mm -hmm. talked about Buddhism, but that's kind of one of the tenets of that. Right. Faith is just, not, to, I, I, not to preach. I wouldn't assume just because he's from there. though. <laughs> no. That, yeah. Um, he did mention that, I think, once. But um, oh, he okay. also mentioned that that's uh, the culture he comes from. One of the coolest stories that he told me that really inspired me to make these changes in my life because that really is the hardest part is like, I guess coming out of a crucible or being in a crucible or being anywhere near a crucible, it's not a fun place. Mm -hmm. And it's really, really, really hard to make that decision of I'm going to do absolutely whatever it takes to get to destination of whether it's being medication free or whether it's just being satisfied with your life or in a place of peace, whatever your goal is, right. it's, unbelievably difficult to make those everyday decisions that get you there. And so I think a lot of what he had to say just really inspired me. And that's why I think about him so much is because it set me on this path that turned out to be incredible. Right. Okay. So, so you have what effectively uh, uh, sizes up to be sort of like a mantra kind of thing. Just everyone's doing their best. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what other, what other tools do you have? Um, well, one of the next things that he taught me how to do was meditate, which I had never actually done before. And there's a lot of ways to do it and everybody does it differently. And that's kind of uh, how 
I guess it works because you're going into your own little intimate personal space. But what he kind of taught me to do really helped me a lot with my anxiety. That was what the purpose of that kind of exercise was in meditation was to focus on being able to remove myself from anxiety when I was having an actual panic attack because they were happening really frequently at that point. Okay, so here's where we get a little personal, but take me through what your life was like before you had all this. Like, what what is a typical day that that made you realize I this needs to change? I can't deal with this anymore. Well, I was pretty much not a functional human being, <laughs> honestly. Okay. Like, I like I could barely get out of bed and go to work, and like for anxiety or for depression um, or both. That part of it was the depression. And it was just made it really hard to function and um, get to work, like using all my sick time, like Mm -hmm. getting written up for, you know, trying to take more additional time off, that kind of stuff where your job's actually in jeopardy. Mm -hmm. And then um, the anxiety side was like, if I tried to go to the grocery store, like it was a whole ordeal. Oh, yeah. And even just like thinking about going to the grocery store was like it made me feel like I couldn't get out the door. Like just the, the pressure of it, anticipating everything that's going to happen when you walk out the door of your apartment. And, um, and it's, it's a hard to even like verbalize. It's just like a cascade of thoughts that you think are going to happen. Things that might happen. How would you react when these things happen? And, um, if I even got all the way to the store, half the time I would turn around and leave because there were so many people yep. that I couldn't, I just, I couldn't be in a space with that many people. No, I'm, I'm like that now from time to time. Fortunately, not always and enough that it's not a huge deal, but uh, especially this time of year, we're near Christmas. Oh my gosh. When just like, uh, there's a target about, uh, two blocks from my house and that's where I get my groceries and stuff. And I tried to go there the other day and parking, like the whole parking lot was full and I probably could have parked a little further away, but it was like, Nope, not doing this. And just went home. And like, that's, so you're, you're basically like that all the time. Yeah. Just like, I can't deal with this. It's too much. I got to go. Yeah. I would be like, like there would be things that I desperately needed. Like Caitlin, you're going to run out of toilet paper. You have to go to the store. And it's like, I got paper towels. I'm not going to the store because like it's that big in your mind. It overtakes everything else. Every other need, every other like thought that actually makes sense is replaced by this anxiety, this absolute panic over no matter how small it is. Now did this come and go for you? It's an elephant. Um, Or was it was it constant? It depends. There were certain things that that every day would give me anxiety um, and still do. Um, And then there was also just um, serious like attacks. So it was like little things throughout the day would give me anxiety. So I was kind of like at like operating at a five rather than a one on the Richter uh, scale of emotional. Where does the scale go? It goes to 10 on a scale from one to 10. I would say I was operating at a five on anxiety normally. Uh-huh. And then if something would happen, it would just be like instantly through the roof. No gradual. Now, what it, what, what is, what would set it off? Any, like any little thing or like major events or like, um, cause I mean, for me, sometimes it's just like, 
someone's cart is in the way of my cart and I don't want to have to make eye contact and apologize to them and I just need to bail. But then sometimes I'm fine. Like Yeah, exactly. You know, it, it would for me it would be really weird things. Like my mom would call me and ask me I'll, I'll probably talk about my mom a lot cuz like Okay. Uh my mom and I used to have this terrible relationship and then all of a sudden when I started actually having a healthy brain everything mm -hmm. melted into normalcy. But That's at nice. that time, like every time my mom called me, I would get anxiety. I would get so much anxiety that I could not answer the phone. So I would mm -hmm. wait for her to leave a message and then I would listen to it like five times and try to like guess all these things that she's thinking about it. So that's kind of one example, stuff like that. Um, also driving gave me a lot of anxiety because there's all those people around you and like anticipating what they're going to do and anticipating being in a car accident was really hard for me. So I'd be driving somewhere. And at that time I lived in Gresham, which I don't know if you've ever driven through Gresham, mm. but it's, it's pretty high traffic area, um, east of Portland. And I would just have to pull over and cry for like a long Whoa. time and like breathe it out. And then try to go on my merry, merry way. Right. So um, it kind of made life difficult for obvious yeah, it reasons. Like it. Wow. And okay. even now, like the thing that gives me most anxiety, probably more than anything now, because I'm like under control for the big stuff, is like being late. Mm. Oh. So I'm obsessed with being early so that I don't uh -huh. feel that anxiety. But like at that time, it's like even just going to work or making an appointment, mm -hmm. if I even like am thinking about being on time. I'm obsessed with not being late. So just the littlest things like making a hair appointment, making a dentist appointment, mm -hmm. going to work in the morning, those things all became really, really difficult because of that anxiety over being late. Some just the tiniest little thing, but. Now, let me ask you this. Now that you have it more or less under control, do you find that you are very determined to not be late, to make sure you do have things under control yep. to the point? Like what I have found, I, I used to be like that and I more or less got it under control. I get things on a regular schedule and all that. But if something disrupts the schedule, I get I, not anxiety, but definitely irritated. Oh, like yeah. More irritated than probably you should be. Yeah, I would say that's definitely me as well. And especially if I'm around another person, if I'm alone, mm -hmm. I will feel my anxiety. If I'm with someone right. else and like that person's making me late or I'm trying to get mm -hmm. somewhere with that person, my anxiety will kind of translate into frustration with them. Right. And that's definitely something that still happens. And I do have to keep in check because, I mean, I don't think anxiety ever goes away. No, I'm, I ain't no doctor, but... I know a lot of people who have it and I've had it and I mean, it's way more under control than it is now, but I don't know if it will ever, ever go away. I think I will probably always have this like fear of being late. So I just kind of build it into my schedule. Like you said, I mean, I plan, I'm like half an hour late or early. I mean, for work every day. And even then, like sometimes I'm 45 minutes early. I give myself like these giant cushions so that I just don't have to deal with it. No, what I've, what I've found in, and this is a, something like a 20-year process for me now but like uh, in correcting that I've overcorrected a bit and now I come off as a bit of a control freak because it's very important to me that I not fuck these things up you know what I mean oh yes I do and so because of that I am often perceived as like well just just relax just just stop it just like don't don't worry about that no I don't I can't relax that's not a thing I'm capable of doing yeah I've heard that before and I have uh a lot of kind of hippie-ish friends 
in my mm-hmm. friend circle. And they're the kind of people that are like that. They're like, come on, it'll be fine. It doesn't matter. You know, we'll show up right on time. I'm like, no, you don't understand. No. If you want me to you have must fun, I need to be yeah. there early. No, and I've had this for like, um, uh, like going on vacation. Mm-hmm. Like we go on vacation and it's like, I don't necessarily want to have an itinerary but if we need to be a place we need to go to that place and i start getting really frustrated and then the people i'm on vacation with get annoyed because i'm not relaxing you know what Mm -hmm. i mean and and it's it's frustrating because like the alternative is to just be full of anxiety and there's I, i haven't exactly i'm sure there's some middle ground there but i haven't found it yet right yeah i think that's probably the hardest thing like all my coping mechanisms are all fine and dandy, but when you throw other people in the mix, like you have to kind of either explain those to them. Mm-hmm. And even then they can only accommodate you so much. So, I mean, it does get hard, especially when you're, like you said, going on vacation, I'm about to go on vacation soon. And, and I feel like if I don't know every single detail about our travel arrangements, like I'm going to freak out because I need to mm-hmm. prepare myself mentally and emotionally for everything that's going to happen but that's because things have gone wrong for you in the past and so you can see how that could happen like it's like pattern recognition right it's like to a degree yeah to a degree the way the way i used to be things could go wrong and i'm not going to let that happen anymore for me that's what it is it is and and some of it is just negative anticipation because you're like Uh if i'm late i'll miss the flight and i won't get to go to freaking hawaii so let's not do that what do I need to do to ensure? And then it's like, I worry about every little thing. Like, how do I make sure I have the best time on the plane that I could possibly have? I got to have a book. Uh-huh. I got to have working he- headphones. I got to make sure I got podcasts already downloaded and ready to listen to. Like, I think about every little tiny thing that might come into play when I'm going to be doing insert it's, event. It's really interesting because I've thought about this a lot and I don't think I've talked to anyone about this before. The idea that coping and I thought it was more coping with ADD but I suppose it's also coping with anxiety depression all that sort of makes you not OCD but definitely makes you more obsessive about certain things because you want to make sure everything's just right so that you don't lose control it's kind of like being your own mother of a like toddler child except the toddler child is your horrible brain exactly because you have to like prepare for like any possible meltdown yep and they could be caused by so many different things you got to have that giant diaper bag full of everything. Everything you could ever need. Uh-huh. No, I'm with you. We are, <laughs> we are completely on the same page with this. Where where we diverge, though, is some of your other coping mechanisms involve things that I admire you for, but I, I'm just, uh, it sounds like so much work. Hey, you told me you go to the gym. That's one of my major ones. I, I try to. <laughs> I, I get on streaks from time to time, but then there's times, like right now, I haven't been in a couple of weeks. Uh, well, let's talk about that for a second. I love the gym. It is my happy place. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started by just walking. Actually, I didn't start in the gym. I guess I would say I love exercise. It's my happy place because it just fills me with endorphins and it helps me completely manage my mood in a way that I don't have control over until I get that burst of endorphins. So it does a lot of things for me. And I, when I first started back in my heyday, when I was just kind of growing my little mental health wings, I mm-hmm. just started walking and I was really, um, 
I don't know what the word is for it. I didn't like talking to anyone. I just liked thinking alone all the time. And mm-hmm. I couldn't talk to anyone yet. I was just kind of just starting to get to the point where I could actually like talk about my experiences, talk about my feelings and not feel like a total weirdo. So I would just walk and listen to music and kind of try to think happy thoughts. Cause that's all I knew mm-hmm. how to do. And I realized that after walking, like I would just feel like weights had been lifted off my shoulders. I would feel like my anxiety was down at a one instead of whatever level it was when I left the house. And at that point I was living with my parents and living with my schizophrenic brother who, if you don't have anxiety, he would give you anxiety (laughs) just by his behavior and stuff. And plus living with your parents uh, when you're an adult is a little stressful. So I, would, I, I was going to say walking away from your living with your parents has to make you feel better. Oh, just yeah. in, you know, the act of physically yep. moving yourself away from your parents' house. <laughs> Even if you you have a great relationship with your parents, that's just not a good scene. Yeah. So I walked a lot, partly mm-hmm. to get out of the house and partly to clear my head. Um, sure. And I would walk for like, you know, an hour or two, a good chunk of time. And wow. so after I'd kind of like been doing that for a while and I wasn't quite as out of shape as I used to be. I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll get a gym membership. And so my friend decided to do it with me and we got gym memberships. And it was really, really, really hard. I'm not an athletic person. I have asthma. I like wearing sweatpants and being on a couch and not in motion most of the time. So it was hard for me to get started, but I really got addicted to the the feeling that I get afterwards, the high that I get afterwards. And it's still hard. I've been doing it for several years now. And it's really hard when my alarm goes off at 445 to get out of bed and do that thing. But I feel like a completely different person if I go to the gym versus if I don't go to the gym. It's immeasurably noticeable. Well, and and for me, and this applies to uh, just creativity, to to any kind of productive uh, uh, pursuit, anything. The hardest thing is getting started once you have some momentum Mm -hmm. once like that's why it's important for me after about day three or four in a row of going to the gym i start tweeting about it or like in some way making myself a little bit accountable because i know Mm -hmm. once i've like that hard that hardest part is going the first couple of days and after that it's like okay six days in a row seven days eight okay this is good i can keep doing this and then you know then it's easier but it's always like when i miss a day and then we get back to that obsessive thing again Mm -hmm. I miss a day is like, well, streak's broken. Fuck it. Why should I go? Exactly. Oh, I could think myself out of it every morning. I mean, if I... Especially this time of year where there's no daylight and it's cold and it's like, oh, it's so nice under the covers. Mm -hmm. And it's wet and windy where I live. So it is cold, wet and windy and dark. And if I let myself think too long, I might find a reason to skip it. I I haven't been letting myself do that very much lately, but... But it's possible. My brain is very good at what it does when it's trying to convince me to make poor choices. But I mean, it's really hard, but it's one of those things that it's like if you have your mind set on the prize, which is to be a functional, unmedicated person, which was my goal, um, then, you know, it's it's within reach. And I've been thinking a lot lately about um, some kind of. It's hard to explain how I feel about this without going on a huge tangent about Matt Fraction. But <laughs> I'll do it. That's fine. <laughs> Matt Fraction got me into comics. He uh-huh. gave a speech. It made me cry at Woodstock. Mallory was there. My good friend Mallory. She 
introduced me to the world of comics. And mm-hmm. lately, as I've kind of thought about mental health, about my own struggle with depression, anxiety, about the stuff that the people around me, my loved ones and friends have gone through, superhero stories speak so much to me because of that. And just the idea of making really, really, really hard decisions for the greater good, whether it's your own personal greater good or the good of those people around you not having to experience you in a horrible mood or experience you when you're, you know, having a hard time managing your mental illnesses. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, that's what comic book heroes do. Like Daredevil makes really hard decisions that are really, really unpleasant for him. And he makes those because that's what somebody has to do. Somebody has to step up and, and do those things so that we can all wake up in the morning, not dead or whatever, you know, whatever the big bad crime is. And, you know, in the case of mental illness, your brain is the big bad and you have to make really hard decisions in order to uh, defeat the negativity that can come out of, of not managing your illness well. And Mm -hmm. I think that that has just really inspired me and helped me, especially when it comes to going to the gym and stuff. Cause I'm like, if daredevil can do it, I can do it. (laughs) And as dorky as that may sound, it gets me going every day. And it makes, it helps me make those choices that sometimes really suck. And sometimes I'm like, man, I know that other people don't have to go through all this effort just to get through the day, but it's like, you can either do this or you can just be unhappy and live in squalor like you were when you were really depressed a few years ago. Mm-hmm. So that one, that one definitely works as a motivator for me is like being able to track progress and say, my life is better now. My, my life is measurably better now because of what I've done. Do you want to go back to that or do you want to stay like this? And then it's way easier to keep, you know, to keep moving. Exactly. I had a time where I actually, um, attempted suicide and that was really part of part of what made me seek help with fervor and um when I look back at that that's kind of the time in my life that I look back when I'm making that comparison and I think about that moment about the shitty apartment that I was in about the job I couldn't keep about the people in my life that I couldn't communicate with effectively I couldn't have normal relationships with normal Mm. friendships with And um, just the um, constant sadness that I felt Uh about absolutely every aspect of my life. And in comparison to now, it's like it's like that's not even a person that is related to me or anything. It's a completely different human being. In that regard, we are very much alike. I have points in my life where I look back and say never again. Like this is this is this is a point where I that will I will never allow myself to reach again. I can do better than this, and we're not going back there. Exactly, and in that moment where I need that motivation, it's kind of just like I tell myself that's the price. Like the price of failure is going back to that. Yeah. No, I can I can absolutely see that. So I mean, how much like how intensive? It seems like you. You exercise a lot. It could just be like the thing that I one of the things I admire about you is I'm sure you still have horrible, dark thoughts. I'm sure you still have bad days, but you tend to put out only positivity like to like the world, you know, the stuff you say, the stuff you put on social media, the stuff you say to other people. It tends to be mostly positive. And I, I can definitely recognize that as an effort I've tried to do. And I, I don't always succeed, but I try. 
trying is what matters. <laughs> Honestly, like I do that on purpose. I do a lot of it, like you said, to hold myself accountable. Um, right. Because and some of it because maybe I'm saying what I need to hear at that particular moment. Yes, absolutely. And when I kind of say it out, then it's that little bit of self-gratification of not only did I say this, people know that I say this. This is now a representation of me. I need to think this. I need to put this in my brain. And then a lot of times people will respond and say, heck yeah, or say, I really needed that. Or mm -hmm. a lot of responses that you know make you feel like it's important to make those statements. It's important to be positive. And it's important. It's important to share that, I guess, mostly because there's not enough positivity that is shared. A lot of the things that get shared are not positive or they're like they're usually tearing something down or um, being critical of something in some way or starting a dialogue that's being critical. And I have been honestly striving just to change my own internal monologue. And there's a lot of people around me that I think could use a dose oh, yeah. of that as well. Well, the thing is, like, especially now, I mean, it's very different if you choose to live publicly on social media. You, This is what people see, and you have a chance to mold people's perception of you and to say, I could say all the horrible things that are going on in my head, or I could try to portray something positive. And I have found, and again, I try and I fail sometimes, but I made a much more of an effort now than I did a few years ago of trying to only say positive things or, or at least not negative things, not to say I'm having a really shitty day. Instead, when I'm having a shitty day, try to find some good thing to say instead. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's like, I think you were hinting at a minute ago, like changing your internal model, like sometimes... You don't always completely believe it when you say it, but if you say it enough times, you start to believe it. Exactly. The whole fake it till it's real thing is, yeah, it's a thing. It works. And I do it yeah. all the time. I mean, it feels a little di like like disingenuous to, to, you know, to smile all the time if you're not happy. But on the other hand, if, if it eventually does make you happy, then, you know, mm -hmm. maybe there's something to that. Or it can be like the, the simplest things I think really like when someone asks me how my day is I mm. no longer have that super emotional person response oh, of yeah. like well let me tell you everything horrible that happened today it's like nope. yeah horrible things might have happened today but the person who's asking me how my day is has no interest in necessarily you know no. having a shoulder to cry on they just want to like say hey what's up so like ch just changing my response to fabulous how are you yep like Regardless of how my day is, that is honestly my response to every person that at my office that asks me how I am or how my day is. I say whatever word means the most awesome in my brain at that time. <laughs> and because like that makes them feel good. That makes me think, well, maybe my day is awesome. Right. And no, I, I made that conscious decision some time ago and I don't I don't go that far, but I do say good mm -hmm. or, you know, I'm, I'm doing well, thanks, rather than the knee jerk. Well, I'm having kind of a bad day. They don't want to hear that. Mm -hmm. What they'd like to hear is I'm fine. Thanks. How are you? But I try to up it a little. I, I, I'm I'm too deadpan to say awesome. No one would believe <laughs> if I said I'm awesome. But but I, I still get what you're saying. And it definitely even that simple everyday change helps like change your your outlook your perception you know and it helps people change uh 
their perception of you too. And I think yes. part of that's important. Yeah, definitely. If people see you as a negative person, they will respond to you very differently than if they view you as a positive person. If you're a positive person to them, they'll want to come up and chat with you. They'll want to give you compliments. It's just basic like human interactive psychology type stuff that people respond to you in a positive way when you are a positive person. When you're a negative it person, is, they'll respond to you in a negative way. It is. It's. But I mean, you can't deny it's difficult. Like one, because you're not always feeling it. And two, our, I mean... This sounds like a cop-out answer, and it sounds like, I don't know, peer pressure and doing what everyone else is doing or whatever. But really, our culture doesn't always welcome, like, sometimes it's like, oh, shut up. You're a morning person. I don't want to hear it. I'm having a crappy day. You know what I mean? Oh, like, I do. It, it's not cool to be the happy guy. It's you know not. What I'm saying? It's really not. And um, I'm not going to lie. I get a lot of shit for it sometimes. Yeah. Especially... Oh, especially if you're perceived as a morning person. That's the mm -hmm. worst. Yeah. And... And I'm fine with that. I'm fine with being criticized for that because, you know, if that's all the bad that you have to say to me is that yeah. I'm chipper, then I'm okay with that. Yeah, exactly. That's the worst you can come up with is I'm a positive person. Well, exactly. Shoot, I guess I'm a positive person. Because honestly, the person that I was viewed at before during, you know, that flashback time we, we like to compare mm. ourselves to, that person was irresponsible, annoying, extremely negative i would never have wanted to strike up a conversation with me because i probably have said something horribly awful mm -hmm. but so i mean it's just like i want to kind of put off a good vibe because i want people to um first of all be able to benefit from my presence i think that i should be a boon to the room that i'm in as opposed to sucking the life from it like the black sure. hole that i was but then I also want to be able to um, hold myself accountable because if I'm not feeling awesome, then I need to address that. Right. So and, and I think some people perceive the how are you? I'm awesome, regardless of whether you're awesome or not, as lying. And as long as you have that self-awareness and the presence of mind to to fix it, if you're not, then it's not fake. It's not disingenuous, you know? Yeah. And I think it's just kind of like a fun way to replace that, um, like, robotic. It's basically just a way of saying hello um, yeah. response to something that's, like, more fun and more upbeat with my personality, I guess. So, I yeah, mean. And if you catch someone off guard with something pleasant, that usually kind of makes them happy. Exactly. You know? And I work in an office that has, like, a serious morale issue. So, mm. I just rub joy in those people's faces all day and i don't <laughs> you feel are gonna be happy i know i don't feel bad about it because like i think that they need it so mm -hmm. i just give them an extra dose and and see that is something like i i wish i could do in public i no i just i'll be i mean I'm, i won't be negative i'll just be very quiet like i think that's probably still the anxiety <laughs> or that could just be simply being an extrovert versus being an introvert i don't know exactly i mean everybody's different everybody's going to cope differently even each one of these tools that i use for managing my mood disorders there mm -hmm. are a an equally long list of things that i tried and did not work for me so uh -huh. i mean we're all so individual and, and particularly mood disorders affect us in such different ways well, and that's why I like to talk to different people about this. I've had the same conversation with half a dozen people, and mm -hmm. I intend to do it with a bunch more just because everyone's got a different way of coping with it as well. And like, okay, so 
you've established some baseline like if I exercise every day and if I try to maintain a positive attitude, these are the long-term things that will help me. But what do you do in crisis mode? Because I'm sure you still have something where it's like suddenly there's an attack. Suddenly the anxiety spikes. What do you do then? Yeah, there's depends on where I am for one mm -hmm. thing. But um, if I'm somewhere near my home, my home is my happy place. In in a way, I am an introverted as well. Um mm -hmm. And I'm a homebody and I, I love my home. And so part of it can just be as simple as like, I need to drop whatever I'm doing right now and I need to go isolate myself because otherwise I'm going to like freak out. And a lot of it is, is my anxiety, but my depression can sneak up on me as well. And it can present in some really odd ways. And when I feel that happening, it feels to me like something dangerous is happening. That's like mm -hmm. the, the, uh, I guess the internal lights that start going off is like danger, danger, Will Robinson. <laughs> right. And so I kind of fall back on one of the first things that I learned in uh, my from that kick ass psychiatrist, which was like the first meditation practice that he taught me was he said, imagine you're in a room. It's completely empty. It's your favorite color. And there's one thing in it. And you pick that thing. And that's all that exists in the entire world. He was just trying to teach me how to meditate and how to clear my mind and stuff. But I still have just this perfect image of that room that I made mm -hmm. that I built in my brain and it's green because that's my favorite color and it makes me think of peace <laughs> and um the one sorry I thought you said it makes you think of peas makes me think of peas that you eat with carrots and they're delicious <laughs> uh -huh. they're so good that they get me right out of that anxiety mm, well peas. they are green <laughs> so uh that's like one of the first things that I go to just because mm -hmm. I don't know, honestly, of another way to end my racing thoughts. And hmm. when that starts happening, I know that like an anxiety attack is near. So it's it's like emergency meditation. Exactly. And and it works? Sometimes. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it does. It's probably about 50-50 and it really depends on my environment. Because sometimes you can be in an environment that is so incredibly chaotic and demanding that yep. you cannot close your eyes and think of a happy place. There's just too much noise visually well, or auditorily, right. <laughs> whatever that word well, is. No, I, I don't know. I often find myself needing to talk about audio and the qualities of audio. And I don't know what the word is. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, especially if you get uh, uh, anxiety in crowds, in like busy places in, you know, like that, that's sort of like inherent in the problem is like, you can't have quiet because that's what's setting you off in the first place. Mm -hmm. And and depending on the situation, a lot of it is uh, imagination games, which yeah. is, is a huge thing for me. I'm a really imaginative person and my imagination is very, very uh, visual, I guess. It's, it's very clear to me and I can, even with my eyes open, imagine things very clearly in visual detail. And it's hmm. like... Just something that I've always just kind of played with is imagination games. So one thing that helps me is um, I'm sure you're familiar with uh, the Serenity Firefly series. Mm -hmm. So there's this part at the end of the Serenity movie where Wash is saying I'm a leaf on the wind. Mm -hmm. And I really love that line. And I like to say that over and over and over and over. And, and the association with what happens after that doesn't ruin it for you? No, not at all. Okay. Because I understand what he's saying when he's saying it at that moment. Is oh, like absolutely. I am capable of existing within chaos is what right. that says to me. So when I say it over and over in my head, it makes me make myself believe 
that I am capable of dealing with the chaos that surrounds me and that I have no need to give it order because that's my initial, that's what gives me so much anxiety is like, I see disorder, I need to give it order. And you can't do that because you're in public and people don't listen to you. Yeah, I know. You want them to line up in straight lines. You want them to all go one direction. I just want them to get out of my way. (laughs) I know. Yeah. So like those little mind games that you can play with yourself can make a huge difference because honestly, when it comes down to it, your surroundings are not going to change and there's nothing that you can do about them. And if you do not accept that, then you have to remove yourself from the situation and if I'm in a spot where I know I can get away clean and it's not a big deal, then I'll leave. But if I'm at a family function, I'm somewhere um, with a bunch of other people where leaving would be really inconvenient, I have to suck it up. And the only way for me to suck it up is uh, to play those mental games and to put myself in a situation uh, emotionally and mentally where I'm at peace with what's happening around me. And that might mean that I say I'm a leaf on the wind 47,000 times and I need to sit on a bench for a while and meet up with my friends later Mm -hmm. because there's still like that small price to pay. Even if you can get through that moment, you probably still need like some time. Oh, absolutely. So just like for me, those are the kind of little things and most of them are mental games that I play or I will say the same, you know, uh, monologue from a Shakespeare play that means something very significant to me. I'll say it over and over and over and over until I have calmed down enough to think straight. So it really sounds like you put a lot of stock in mantras in like just things that you can repeat to yourself that, that help calm you down. I I've tried that. I've heard of that, that mechanism and I've tried it. And the way my anxiety and depression and all that stuff generally works is it's always trying to outsmart me. And so I will say the thing that's supposed to calm me down and it will immediately think of a reason that that's wrong. Yeah. Like that mine is very into the self-sabotage thing. (laughs) Yeah, I completely understand that. And I'll do that to myself on a regular basis as well. Um, But for me, words are super powerful and always have been. And so if if I pick something that truly resonates with me, then it can really overcome those uh, saboteur saboteur thoughts. Right. Um, But I totally know what you mean. And I will often argue with myself for great lengths of time Mm -hmm. when it comes to trying to calm myself down. But um, overall, I would say that those methods work effectively for me. But I also have reduced my... um, I guess the severity and the frequency of my episodes, like mm. true anxiety attack episodes, to such a degree that those those methods work more now for me because I use them less often. Well, yeah, and if and if you have a fifty percent success rate, then you but you have fewer incidents to deal with. Mm-hmm. Then that means you're only left with a with a handful, I imagine. Exactly, and I mean when it comes down to it, you can't remove all triggers of anxiety there's no way for you to always avoid uh you know social settings or always avoid being late or always avoid public places where there's a lot of people i do my very best to avoid those situations but sometimes it's going to happen so having those little methods to be able to talk yourself down are super important but the hard part would be finding those methods because everybody is so different and how do you do that experimentation really I mean I don't know any other way when Mm. I first started doing this my therapist was like try this 
then come back and talk to me about how effective it was. Try this, then come back and talk to me about how effective it was. So it, lots of lots of trial and error. And I saw that guy like twice a week for I was going to say yeah, how do you how do you keep from being frustrated if you're only seeing the guy cuz I only see mine like every 3 months. So like that would take years and years to play out. But if you're seeing him twice a week, that's Yeah, I mean, when I first started seeing him, it was immediately after my suicide attempt and so at that mm. point he was in like crisis management mode, which is I'm sure right. what they do with people that are like, "Hey, you might die and I will be liable, so let's fix this." Right. And you get way more intensive therapy and um, oh sure what I mean eventually we were seeing each other once a month at the time where mm -hmm. we kind of stopped seeing each other stopped dating I guess yeah um, and but before that we were seeing each other very very frequently and it was a constant like kind of checking in type experience. Wait, so so are you actually at a point where you're no longer seeing him? Right I'm no longer in therapy and I am no longer on medication. And you don't feel like you need that? No, I don't. I still um, very much strive to continue my education in mental health because right. I feel like, honestly, that's what that experience was with him, was he was mm -hmm. teaching me all the things that maybe someone who doesn't have a chemical imbalance can get by not knowing. Mm -hmm. But someone who does have a chemical imbalance cannot get by not knowing. Just like lessons that have to do with like the philosophies like we were talking about um, and perspectives and thinking patterns and stuff like that, that maybe a normal person never has to think twice about that junk. And if they did, they might be happier. Um, but someone like me has to work really, 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 really hard to completely encompass those things so that you can just get through the day. Well, and to me, that seems to be like your your approach to this is very different than mine, and it's very different from other people I've talked to, but there seems to be one consistent element with everybody's approach, which is self-knowledge. It's You have mm -hmm. to know what's going on inside your head to be able to then fix it. You have to recognize the patterns, you have to understand where it comes from, and then you can try to address it in whatever means you think is appropriate. Exactly. What was cool about my experiences is that they kind of paralleled with my brother's, and he was going through his own... Um, kind of intervention and subsequent education about mental health at the same time as mine. And so we got to really talk about our educational experiences together and talk about um, what worked and what didn't work and the cool things that came out of it. And one of the things that we never stopped talking about, we still talk about today, is mindfulness. We both started learning about it at the same time. We're really blown away by the concept. And that's one thing I forgot to mention is also really helpful for coming down from anxiety is... Mm -hmm practicing mindfulness. I don't know if you've, um, it's something I, that you've I am, ever, I am personally aware of it uh, for a couple of different reasons. One, because I did a fair amount of reading on Buddhism mm -hmm. in my younger years, but also because my shrink talks about mindfulness as well in, mm -hmm. in a, in an ADD perspective, but maybe for the listeners, you could, you could uh, sort of gloss over that. Well, I mean, I'm sure that there's a lot more to it that I don't know. Um, sure. but for how it applies to me, um, especially in anxiety, um, is it helps you focus on what is happening to you right now that you can sense. Mm -hmm. And for me, that helps me come down from my anxiety because a lot of the external stimuli are perceived and they're not actual. So when I'm practicing mindfulness as a way of coping with anxiety, it's like starting instead of viewing the entire world at the same time, which is what my anxiety attacks feel like. I feel like I can mm -hmm. see everything in the entire universe at the same time. It's very overwhelming. Yep. Whereas when I 
in order to kind of retract from that, I start at the smallest thing. Like, what do I feel on my skin right now? And that's all you think about is what you feel on your skin right now. And then you think, what can I taste in my mouth? What does my I, mouth feel like? I have been walked through that very in very similar ways that you just described. And I, it has never worked for me. Really? I've never. I, I, I appreciate it. I understand it. It obviously works for literally billions of people. So I'm certainly not going to detract from it, but it I just don't I don't get I how do you focus on a thing? Sheer force of will, I guess. <laughs> Maybe I don't have that. Um I would say that is the hardest part is blocking out all the other noise. Yeah. Um and it's taken me practice. Like I honestly this is something that I have practiced and practiced and practiced and I feel like I'm relatively good at it. But I feel like I can still even get better. And it's been three and a half years since I've been doing this on a regular basis. Well, I mean, the, the mind or the the will or the spirit or whatever you want to call it. it I mean, it, it, it acts a lot like a muscle in that mm -hmm. the more you use it, the better you get at it. And if you stay in practice, you'll get even better. Yeah. And that's honestly the way kind of all of this stuff is, is like, mm -hmm. it's all just stuff that I used to suck at. And now I'm trying to start getting better at. <laughs> and but that it's very much like you exercising, like going to the gym more mm -hmm. and more, you get a little stronger, you okay, now I'll try this much weight. Now I'll try this to go faster, or I'll try to go further or whatever. Like, it's, it's the same thing. Only instead of physical, it's mental. Exactly. And for me, it helps because it also narrows my perspective into what's significant for me right now. Because one of my biggest problems in day-to-day -day life with my anxiety is uh, thinking about things too much, things that don't affect this current moment that we're in, things that can be worried about at a later time, like when they're actually relevant. Like I don't need to be stressing right now over what I'm going to pack when I go on vacation. But if I let myself, I will. I will stress about it um, until I'm sweaty. Like, I'll just sit here thinking about it, trying to make sure I don't forget anything that's important or I have everything that I'll need for the weather conditions. And right. if I decide I want to go hiking, I'll have the right shoes. I could sit here and think about that and be stressed out about it. Or I could choose to think about something else. And when I'm choosing to think about something else, it has to be something that's going to take me in the direction that I want to go. So <laughs> oh, that yeah, you is don't want to choose something worse. <laughs> exactly. So that's why I, it, like mindfulness is really effective for me because if if I don't curb my thought patterns, I will drive myself into the river mentally. I I see that's often where I find myself. I don't think it's to the extreme that maybe yours is, but I definitely have like Okay, I don't maybe need to worry about what to pack for vacation right now, but I can remember times in the past before I got my shit together where I wouldn't think about it at all, and then I would ruin it, and I don't want to be that guy again, so <laughs> I better be thinking about it all the time to the point where I wake up in the middle of the night and I've clearly been dreaming about it. Yeah. I, do you get that? Do you get those yeah. like anxiety dreams? Oh, I do, especially when uh, when I start a new job, which I recently did. I will mm -hmm. have like a solid month of anxiety work dreams that are unbelievably exhausting. And those I've never, that's something I've never overcome is well, yeah, I don't know can, how to do it in my sleep. <laughs> oh, no, you can affect your conscious mind, but your subconscious is a whole other animal. And if anything stressful is going on in my life, I have a tendency to dream about it. And I will dream so vividly that when I wake up, I feel like that's been happening this whole time. Yeah. And it's pretty exhausting. See, what I've found is 
I'm, I would say a fairly motivated person, a fairly like productive person, but my secret is that I use my anxiety, like I still have the anxiety. It's sort of positive anxiety. I don't know if that makes sense, but it's like, I'm worried about it. So it gets done. You understand what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like, but that also translates to if I have too much on my plate, I can't sleep. Right. So the end result might be positively affected, but you are not positively affected. No, it wrecks me. Yeah. But it means I get, you know, 10 podcasts out a month or whatever. And, and you know, yeah. got the live show together and I got our con appearance to get, you know, all the stuff I do mm-hmm. gets done. But it's like, yeah, it, it destroys me. And that, there's probably a better way to do that. Maybe one day I'll figure that out. <laughs> and I get that way, too. And I get um, really intense about things that I think are super important. And mm-hmm. so what I've done to kind of control that at the very least, I wouldn't say it's by any means curbed, but it's mm-hmm. a little bit more redirected, like you were talking about earlier, is making lists. And mm-hmm. I am obsessed with making lists. I'm oh, currently yeah. looking within my view. I have six lists that I can see, yep. but they're all relevant to different things. And I get a lot of satisfaction from being able to cross out those lists and hone down those lists. And I spend a lot of time on those lists. And that's one of my tools as well is like, I am have so much in my brain that I will just put it on paper in neat little rows. And then I'll move that to another piece of paper that's more organized and makes more sense and kind of like dwindle it down to like, okay, this is now what I'm going to do today. This is a good list. This makes sense. I'm not going to add anything to it because I'll get freaked out and stressed (laughs) and so it kind of the goal is to make it smaller not bigger yeah it kind of helps me like tone down like okay i don't need to like scrub the ceiling today that's an unnecessary task i was feeling a little crazy when i wrote that one down we'll cross that one off the list no scrubbing Mm -hmm. the ceiling things like that because i don't have to do absolutely everything today as much as i might think i need to so it's just one of those little like checks i guess in my long list of checks and balances, that would be a check to make sure that I am not just like a freight train going through like a cow field. Like I want to, I want my enthusiasm and I want my energy to be used for things that make sense. Yes, absolutely. But I don't know. Like there, there is to me, nothing more like satisfying than crossing something off a list. You're absolutely right about that. But on the other hand, Uh, it's difficult for me because sometimes like, you know, you go up and you go down and you will make a whole list of scrub the ceiling. And then late in the day, it's like, well, shit, the whole list is that. And what was I thinking this morning? Me is so stupid. Like why, (laughs) how can I do any of these things now? You know what I mean? (laughs) I do know what you mean. And part of it's just tricking your brain. Um, One of the, an excellent lesson that I also received from, Dr. Tran was um, the fact that all the plans that you want to do, all the things that you want to do, those are great. Those are awesome. And if you succeed, that is fantastic. And if you don't Mm -hmm. succeed, it's okay. Like it is legitimately okay not to succeed because you have more opportunities to try. You learn something, you gain from those experiences. So like not succeeding at something is not a negative thing. It just means I didn't get that done today. This didn't work out today. And that kind of goes in with, we've been talking a lot about anxiety, but that helps me a lot with my depression because I have a tendency to get devastated by failure. Mm -hmm. 
like yeah. absolutely devastated. Like this didn't work out. Okay, I quit. I'm jumping off a bridge. And I think part of that is because I have attempted suicide. And I think once you go there, it's really hard to make your brain ever draw back from that. Oh. When you're like, when you start to think that death is okay and death is not something to avoid, it's something to welcome. It's, right. I don't, I, I don't know. I haven't actually talked to a ton of people who've had suicidal experiences, but for me, it's always been a problem. It's been a scary ledge because I can recognize that I am not afraid of death. I am not afraid of dying in any way that like a normal person would be mm -hmm. because at some point I just accepted that and said hell with it and went nuts. So part of what I have to kind of deal with when it comes to my depression is keeping myself away from that state of devastation when I start to think that, like, it would just be easier if I was dead. Right. So in that, a lot of it is just not setting yourself up for that emotion. Understanding that a failure at a task is not a failure of your life. I see. And in addition to that, setting up yourself to not have expectations rather than I have positive expectations or... Just like my anxiety, I have negative anticipations. Mm. Um, because See, if you have always... oh, go ahead. if you have positive expectations and those don't come through, you might be devastated. If you have negative anticipations, you probably have anxiety. Right, but the the problem I've always had, and I've heard this philosophy many times about expectations and all that, is this very Buddhist in a lot of ways. It is like the the idea that you just think whatever happens will happen, and and you shouldn't expect, and like that's fine. It's very difficult to have and maintain goals if you have no expectations, though. That's, I have not been able to reconcile those two things. That's true, and. I would say that I am able to reconcile those two things. And again, it's all just kind of a brain game. Yeah. And in that, like, I take that not having expectations to a very specific level, not like a broad overarching don't have life expectations. Mm -hmm. I just think of it more as like, I have the tools to deal with whatever this situation brings to me. But if so I'm not going to anticipate then... if that's going to be a good thing or a bad thing. But if you don't handle it, then you have failed. Um, yes, but who's to say that you didn't handle it? Okay, that's so, fair. I mean, I guess if the whole thing is like a total meltdown, depends on the situation. But if the whole thing's yeah. a total meltdown, then yeah, you could say you failed. And, well, you, and might, <laughs> you might feel it, shitty about that day. It seems like you're approaching it more from a perception standpoint, which is not a bad thing. You're like... Okay, maybe I just redefine failure and maybe I didn't fail. Maybe, you know, mm -hmm. I'm just looking at it from a like the perspective of someone who wants to look like you know, you understand what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, I do. And I agree. It is a perception thing. And that's kind of the entire way that I approach my kind of non medical anti depression ness whatever you want to call all these tools is there are a lot of them are perception based. And I think perception dictates a lot of what we understand about the world. And if we choose to perceive things in a certain way, they will always seem dark. They will always seem scary and the world will always seem like it's out to get you if you perceive it to be that way. So I think yeah. that's probably why I, I do look at it that way because those thoughts that I had that, that really encouraged my depression were all perception based 
And so I try to take the opposite kind of tract, I suppose. Right. That makes sense. Um, well, we're about hitting ar around the time that I wanted to start wrapping things up. Do you have any other sort of like uh, uh, tools you wanted to share? Any any thoughts, anything like that? Well, I would say just kind of looking over my list. I mean, a lot of these things we talked about, um, just like getting exercise, moving your body. One thing that um, I will say that I do a lot and it, I know that it's not a normal American family thing to do anymore, but it's cooking. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, I know that not a lot of, a lot of people don't like to do it. It's easier to eat out and all that jazz, but it is something that has helped me as well to stay focused on things that matter. And mm -hmm. one of those things is like providing your body with healthy food to eat. And so it kind of plays into my whole fitness thing too. If you eat healthy, it also helps me when I go to the gym, but, um, Eating the food that I cook gives me such an incredible sense of satisfaction that I find that that also is a really good tool in uh, my self worth and and um, oh sure it's overcoming it's my depression. gratification oh yeah absolutely you do a thing and then you immediately get a reward yeah so I cook every single meal that I eat and so wow. three times a day I get this incredible dose of satisfaction of mm -hmm. I just made this thing now I'm eating it tastes good. Mm -hmm. Even if it doesn't taste that good, if, as long as it's edible, yeah, I feel like I've succeeded. And that is something that I do all the time. It makes me feel amazing. And then sometimes I get good at it. And so I'll get to cook for somebody else because I've, you know, mastered a dish or whatever. I, lo I love how positive that is. I get to cook for someone else. I... <laughs> That, that's a perception that's a perception thing i should really borrow because right now it's i have to cook for somebody else not i get to cook for somebody else well you get to share it's a it's all about sharing you can no, to... we we eat different things so i have to cook for somebody else <laughs> that's just how we broke the chores down she does certain things and cooking's one of mine right and i don't i don't dislike it i'm not saying that i'm not complaining about having to cook i like I chose something that I generally enjoy, mm -hmm. but I certainly don't think of it in terms of like, I get to cook for someone else. That's, that's a really nice way to look at it. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> I think it kind of helps me too. And kind of like my hippy dippy piece with the world thing is I know that I am buying products at the store that I support. I'm cooking mm -hmm. them in a wholesome and healthy way. And then I get to consume those and feed my body. And because of eating healthy, I also don't wake up feeling like shit. So right. it's all these like little tiny things that I do in my day, whether it's giving myself extra time so I don't have to feel late from work, making sure that I get some alone time, uh, making myself lists when I have a lot in my brain, taking time to cook dinner. I take a lot of time to prepare myself for the following day, like get out everything that I need, make sure everything's all organized and all of that prevents stress. It prevents anxiety and it prevents those terrible thoughts of depression that can bring me so far down. Mm -hmm. And it's all the little things that you do. They might seem like little choices, but when they have a collective impact, all of a sudden, I get to be a person who doesn't have to take antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication anymore. That's fantastic. Also, like, well done with sort of your conclusion paragraph. <laughs> Why, thank you. That usually I, like, and, and this is no reflection on the other guests or anything, we usually have to, okay, we're wrapping up, so now let me conclude what you've said. You, you just basically delivered an entire research paper on the way you live. Like, <laughs> From start to finish. That's fantastic. Well, I'm glad well, you Caitlin, let me talk about it. It's absolutely you were you were one of the people I admire the most for being able to cope with this stuff. I know 
like in addition to the the chemical stuff you've had some situational stuff that's been pretty rough and you you know you, your life hasn't always been easy and seeing you continue to be positive and continue to try to like exude positivity and and try to continue to make your life better it's it's inspirational i i really appreciate it well i'm glad we got to talk about it i think that this topic is something that should be discussed more openly and more uh candidly i guess just by everyone because it's a really pervasive issue it's something a lot of people experience and i want to just get help get rid of the shame around mental illness you know yeah that's that's why i keep doing this is the more we talk about it the less stigma i hope and particularly around the holidays i like to try to put one of these out just because i think people need it even a little more absolutely the holidays can be really hard and very stressful for us anxious people Mm-hmm. Uh, unless you just move extremely far away from your family and Skype in for Christmas morning for about 15 minutes. And, uh, <laughs> then it's fine. Everything's great. And cancel no Christmas. Yeah, you can just yeah. cancel Christmas. I did. I am a grown-ass man. I can cancel Christmas if I want to, <laughs> and I did that. No tree, no lights. Just uh, It's just a day off work for us. We're going we're gonna to watch Fargo, I think. That sounds like a good Christmas to me. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Lie in bed with the wife all day and watch TV. Hey, just call it an extra lazy Sunday. This show is produced by me, Ron Algar-Watt, and featured Caitlin Purdy. Thanks for listening.